If you'll remain standing with me, please, we will read today's sermon scripture, the first 18 verses of the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Congregation of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Oh Lord God, we come this morning expectant, needing people, wanting to hear what it is that you have to say for each of us in our lives today. We pray that you would be with Pastor Bryant as he brings the word that you have given to him already and that you'd be working continually in his life, but not only in his life, but in all of us who hear. We pray, Lord God, that your spirit would so envelop each one of us this morning that nothing could hinder that word from receiving into our hearts that which would motivate us unto life and godliness, that this word which goes out would change the hardening of our heart. It would make us malleable and make us into the image of Jesus himself. We pray, Lord God, that those doors would not contain the gospel this morning, but that you would move so much in each of our lives that we would bring the gospel into each and every situation that we live this week. Father, thank you for the privilege of reading and hearing and applying your word. So, Lord God, we do pray that you would envelop us again, as I've said, in your Holy Spirit this morning, all in the name and wondrous grace of Jesus. Amen. Please, you may be seated. I always get a kick out of having to drop this thing all the way down to a normal man's size when I stand up. (laughs) 
Good morning, loved ones. Good to see you again. It's good to be in the, in the house of the Lord. While we read 18 verses of John's uh, gospel, the first chapter of John's gospel, we're actually only going to look at one verse today, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father. That's the passage we're going to look at today as we continue our study on the glory of God. Last week, Pastor Andrew walked us through the glory of God veiled, and today, the glory of God revealed. Back in the mid-90s, there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal about a man by the name of Rick Murdoch. And Rick Murdoch was the CEO of a biotech company called CellPro. One particular day, Mr. Murdoch was shaving and uh, felt a couple of knots on his throat. No cancer in his family on, uh, uh, any of, on either side, mother's side or father's side, but he made an appointment to see his doctor. Some tests were run and the results came back and it was a rare form of lymphoma. He was given only about 30 months to live. There was really nothing that could be done for him. Just so happened at the same time, Mr. Murdoch's company was developing a, a, a machine that did still uh, uh, replacement uh, uh, technology. Uh, and I Googled him this week, having read the article some time ago, and he, he had pictures from the 90s of him standing next to this cell transfer machine that he created. FDA had not given any approval for the machine. It had never actually even been used on any human being. But the FDA did give him uh, a compassionate exemption and allowed Mr. Murdoch to be the first person that used this technology. A month after the, the, techno after the, the transfer was, was done, the, he went back to his doctor and his doctor said he was cancer-free. I don't know Mr. Murdoch. I don't know anything at all about him from outside of what I've read in the article but this I do know, he became the number one salesman of that particular machine that he invented on that particular day. It changed his, his whole life. It changed everything about him at all. He was once dead, or soon to be dead, and now he was alive again because of the effectiveness of this particular machine. And so he became the number one salesman of this particular machine that he invented. And then the article went on. About four or five months after he was cancer-free, he was sued by John Hopkins University because of a patent uh, miscommunication, a theft that he had done and didn't reveal, and he was fined in such a large magnitude that CellPro went bankrupt and closed its doors. I tell you that story, I began with that story this morning for this very reason, I, Advent. We're in the Advent season now, and, and, and we're looking at passages that all of us have looked at over and over and over again. Have we not? I mean, how many times can we read Luke chapter 2 and find something new that just jumps right off the, ta uh, off the page for us to tell us about the incarnation of Christ himself, the glory revealed of our Heavenly Father? I don't know if you saw the news this past week. I watched it. And I went, isn't that interesting? That Grand Rapids is the number one city in the United States for the largest percentage of depression. Did you see that? I thought, 
Well, no wonder. We haven't seen the sun in forever. Uh, we won't see it again until August, most likely. So the number one city, uh, a mid-sized city in the United States for depression. I wonder how many of us here today, friends, the Advent season brings that, doesn't it? It's lost its, it's lost its oomph. The gospel has come to us. We were the number one salesman when God applied that to our hearts and our lives. But now over time, over life's problems and struggles and pains, somehow we're robbed of the glory that's been revealed in our Savior and life's problems become our focus or man's glory over God's glory as we just read in our call to confession. Does that describe you, friends? I know many times it describes me. That the gospel has lost its power. The, the glory is not revealed anymore because it's just like humdrum day after day, struggle after struggle, instead of putting our eyes in the only place where the glory of God is revealed, and that is in the face of our loving Savior who came to make us his children. Pastor Andrew walked us through the glory veiled last week because we had placed our eyes on the things of the world, the glory of ourselves, the glory of mankind, instead of the glory of the Savior. Today, our passage, the glory revealed, and it's revealed for the very purpose of making lost ones the children of God. That's what I want us to see again this morning with great delight, with great wonder that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory and because we have believed in Him, because He has caused us to believe in Him, verse 12, He has given us the right to become children of the living God. You know, the church has been fighting a battle since the 3rd, 4th, and 5th century over the person of Christ a lot of the councils that you may have read about in the past, the Council of Constantinople and Nicaea and so forth, from which we get the Nicene Creed that we'll be reciting together uh, at the close of our, our sermon this morning, all were, were erected to define for us the person of Christ. I think many times, especially in the Advent season, when we turn our attention to the Incarnation, we are, we're prone to live in a, in a state of heresy almost because we have, we've robbed Christ of the glory by robbing him of being fully God and fully man. In our minds or sometimes in preaching today that it's Jesus turned into a man. He set aside his deity and he put on his humanity. He divested himself of his deity and he took on our humanity. He exchanged this for that. And we look at passages like Philippians chapter 2 that some translations read, he emptied himself of all but love. Other translations now, he humbled himself. But we have this concept in our mind of him emptying himself that there is a reduction, there is a separation, there's a less than when he set aside his deity and he took on our humanity. Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. We must begin with our understanding of the revelation of God's glory by thinking correctly about who the person of Christ is. John tells us in verse 3 that Jesus was present at creation. Everything that was created was created by him. So we have this in the beginning language, much like we read at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. 
uh, and here in, the, in John chapter 1, in the beginning, to give us the eternality picture of Christ himself. The creator is now become part of his creation. He became what he was not without ever setting aside what he already was. It's addition, not subtraction. He emptied himself literally means this. He took all of his divinity and he poured it into his humanity such that we have fully God and fully man in one person. We've been fighting this battle since the early church where let's, let's think of him in an in incarnation. He's, he's really more, more man than God. Yeah, he's got a little deity, but it's like a drop of honey in the ocean. And it's, it's humanity that reigns. Or, no, 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 he doesn't, he doesn't have the will or the mind of a human. He's the will of the mind of God. We divest him of his deity and his humanity when scriptures clearly tell us that it's the two together. Not two persons. One person... One person who is fully God and fully man. We have to start there, friends, because when we don't start there, I think it robs us of this beauty of the, the passage, the word became flesh. And I want you to capture this too, friends. Think about Jesus' sacrifice, what he chose to do. In redemptive history, when God declared that he would send his only begotten son, the word who would become flesh, Jesus didn't take on that flesh for 33 years. Here's the question for you. You don't have to answer. Just think about it. Does Jesus have a body today? The answer is yes. He has a body, the body with which he was glorified. He rose again from the dead. And it's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Christ has a body today. He would take on flesh, friends. Here's my point. He would take on flesh for all eternity, the rest of eternity, for people like you and me, so that we might become the children of the living God. He would never go back to the way it was before. He would always and forevermore be what he is today, fully God and fully man. The passage goes on. It's not just that he became flesh. The word became flesh. But the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Literally translated, he pitched his tent with us. Or he tabernacled with us. And it gives us a beautiful picture of our covenant theology and how the Bible is only and always about one thing, one thing, and that is the redemption of humankind from the very beginning, the creation in his likeness and image to the fall, and then throughout all of the rest of the scriptures, it's about one thing that God is drawing back to himself, men, women, and children, whereby they are becoming children of the living God. So let's think about this. God said... Under the old covenant, I'm going to choose a people, my chosen people. And he chose the Israelites, not because they were bigger, not because they were better, not because they were prettier. He chose the Israelites as his chosen people, saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. You'll be my children. He brought them out of bondage in Egypt to wander in the desert, even as we heard on Friday uh, or last Wednesday night in our congregational meeting, they didn't take the direct way. They wandered this way and that way because it would have been easy for them to come back. Instead, they wandered in the desert. Exodus chapter 40, we read about uh, the tabernacle, the tent, the erection of the tabernacle, and the, the glory of God revealed in descending upon the tabernacle. 
They eventually moved into the promised land by the direction of their heavenly father, Yahweh, and they build the permanent structure, the temple, the tabernacle is done away with. First Kings chapter 8, Solomon, the son of David, builds the temple and he calls for a building dedication and all of the people, all of the children of God come together and all of the priests and all of the elders and they carry in the Ark of the Covenant and in First Kings chapter 8 he goes out of his way to tell us that inside the Ark of the Covenant is the Word of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments that Moses toted down off of that mountain. They put them inside the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as the Ark comes into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, the Scripture, 1 Kings 8, says a smoke descended onto the temple and filled the whole temple such that the priests could not even do the act of ministering because they couldn't see. It's called a theophany. The glory of God is seen visibly in our eyes with the smoke that fills the temple. It's a beautiful picture. That's your homework for this week to go read that. But then three chapters later, in 1 Kings chapter 11, now suddenly we read about Solomon taking on 700 wives and 300 concubines and how he caused Israel to wander away from Yahweh, true worship of the one true and the living God, to bow down to all of these other gods, small g's, from all of the other ites that he was now commingling with. He sinned against God, the children of Israel sinned against God. And that starts this passage then of the division of the kingdom. And then we've got this king did more evil in the sight of, of mankind than his father before him. And this guy was even worse than that guy. And then every once in a while we have this glimpse of God is still revealing his glory through someone like Hezekiah who finds the law and reads the law again. Or Josiah, the little boy king who reads the law again until we get to Ezekiel chapter 10. And Ezekiel chapter 10 with even greater words of illustration, the glory of the Lord leaves the temple than what we just read in 1 Kings chapter 8 when it's revealed in the temple. They were bowing down to the mercy that they could find, the glory that they could find in themselves or in other gods instead of fixing their eyes only on Yahweh Worshipping the one true and the living God. And then there's 400 years of silence between the page, the last page of Malachi and the first page of the, of the Gospel of Matthew. 400 years of silence. But there's still this great hope because now as we open up the pages of the New Testament, we read, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word now, not the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant, but Logos, Christ Himself. Christ became flesh and tabernacled with us. You see, all of the things of the Old Covenant, my friends, would only point to the fulfillment that's found in the New Covenant, and that's in Jesus Christ. These would all pass away, they would all fail, but they would all point to a greater one who was to come, the one that we read about here in John chapter 1. The Word, capital W, Word, Christ became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Now friends, if you're here today, and Advent is kind of, you're not, it's, you're not the gospel's number one salesman anymore. It's lost its ump, something that the pains of life, the struggles of life, or the glory that we desire on our own instead of the glory of the Father. If we've lost that, if you've lost that, 
Perhaps it could be that you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus really is as fully God and fully man. That you have failed to capture the vastness of this plan that God has done for some, someone like you and me. Or if it's lost its umph for you today, friends, perhaps it could be this. That there's no relationship with that very one. That it's all rituals like the old covenant. The rituals that we follow through, that we just are here. We're reading words on a page, singing words from a book. But there's, no, there's the absence of a relationship that I have with a Savior who became flesh and dwelt among us to make me His child. Maybe it's this, my friends, you've lost the vastness of the plan of redemption for all of God's elect by asking this question, what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me today? If that describes you, friends, then here's the good news of the gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. The first 18 chapters that we read this morning are what's known as John's prologue. And then every chapter that follows now, what we have is a picture of how Christ reveals the glory of his heavenly Father. Chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and so forth. Chapter 2, the, turning the water into wine at the, at the wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And chapter 3, where he talks about uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In chapter 4, with the Samaritan woman at the well... He told her everything that he knew about her. She was dumbfounded at all that he knew. She went back to her village and she said, I, I want to tell you about this guy who's opened my eyes to believe. And it says in chapter 4 that many Samaritans then, those that were outside, the Gentiles now coming in, believed. Chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda, blind, who's given sight to behold the glory of God in front of him over and over and over again. I am the resurrection and the life, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Just picture after picture after picture, John 2, 3, 4, 5, and so forth, until we get to John 17, the high priestly prayer. Just one picture after the next, after the next, after the next, of how Christ is revealing the glory of the Father. And then we get to chapter 17, and it says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." We've come to a place in the story now where Christ says it's finally come. After all of these pictures from chapter to chapter to chapter where people are seeing, people are hearing, people are believing, then Jesus says here's the climax of how all of that work will be accomplished. It will be accomplished on the cross of Calvary. There is no greater picture, loved ones, listen, there is no greater picture of the glory of God revealed except for that right there, the cross of Calvary, where he bore our sins in his body so that we might become his children, we might be set free from this bondage to sin and give glory and honor to the one who has made us his children. 
Chapter 20, verse 30, the end of this gospel account. John tells us why he wrote the book. He tells us the purpose of the book is so that they might believe, and in their believing, they might get, be given, eternal life. The cross of Calvary defines for us, loved ones, what it is that he has done for us that we now believe that gives us the hope of life. But listen carefully, friends. It's not simply life eternal. It is that. But it is also life today in his covenantal promises. Our certainty of eternity is made real by the finished work of Christ on the cross. Emerson put it like this. He said, rings and jewels are not gifts, but apologies for gifts. The only gift is a portion of thyself. Thou must bleed for me. There's the gift that God has given to you to believe. The gift that gives you the certainty of eternal life in heaven with him forever and forever. But friends, it also gives you the certainty of life today as well. We open up the book of Acts and Jesus ascends it's almost like the glory departs again, like we read in Ezekiel chapter 10. But immediately after the glory departs in the ascension of our Savior, the Spirit comes with a mighty force, tongues of fire, and now the glory of God is revealed inside us, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. The author of Hebrews put it like this. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in beginning and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through his suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I want you to think about this. The founder of their salvation is perfect in his suffering. This should give us a different way of living today. A different picture of our suffering today. Christ suffered the pains of Calvary to establish for us, to secure for us eternal life. But in our suffering today, it cannot compare to the glory that awaits us. And so in my suffering today, as real as it is, I can overcome that suffering knowing that I have life abundant, eternal, and free, and that life is boiling up within me like streams of living water by the presence of His Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. The glory of our Heavenly Father is revealed in the gospel that is now dwelling within us by the power of His Spirit. So he says, back to our chapter, John chapter 1, in Him is life today as well as for all eternity. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. Why? Because the darkness cannot overcome it. 
The darkness cannot contain the light. The light will shine even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of our struggles and our pains in this life today. The light still shines. You go to the mall. You go to a mall. The secularization of all of the material love that we have as sinful people. And you hear the songs playing on the radio of absolute truth in the hymns of the little babe taking on flesh, born in a, in a manger and so forth. It's a picture of darkness all around us and yet the light still shines. And so it shines in us today, all the way, friends, now to the hope of that eternal life that comes. Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, the new city where God will dwell with his people once again, like in the beginning of the book in Genesis, at the end of the book, it's the same. He'll dwell among his people and he will be our God and we will be his children. Until that day comes, friends, the gospel has not lost its oomph. We are still the number one salesman because that gospel dwells right here, indwelling by the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. Are you clinging to that this Advent season? Are you clinging to that every moment of every day? A dear friend of mine was my accountability partner uh, in St. Louis. Uh, became the pastor of an e-free church after seminary, and he bought a house in Kirkwood. It was a lovely little ranch house with a basement. He said it was a finished basement where they had put that uh, fake wood paneling all the way around the concrete walls from uh, the basement walls, carpeted it all, made it a whole other living area. Not long after they closed on the house and they moved in with first good rain, they started having seepage, water coming into the basement, and then it got worse. And then it got worse and worse. They finally called someone in to take a look at it. And he had a piece of the paneling that was pulling back from the wall. And he said, John, come here. Let me show you what your problem is. And he pulled the paneling back and he said, here's your problem. And he took a screwdriver and went pow. And it went all the way in, all the way up to the handle. The screwdriver into this fake, uh, or into the concrete that was... uh, dissolving it was falling apart he said you got you've got no foundation well they did a whole bunch of work pulling dirt back and so forth and shored it all up but this is my point for you today friends is it just this fake paneling on the outside i I mean i got i got my coat on i got my sunday go to meeting clothes i got the smile on my face i've got a spring in my step but is it is it absolutely worthless because there is no foundation If that describes you, friends, then here's the beauty of the gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. We've seen his glory. He has revealed that glory. And that glory now allows us to believe. And in our believing, it gives us the hope of life today and life forevermore. Thanks be to God. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel. We shall never grow tired of hearing of it. And when we do, Father, when we do, would you just seal to our minds yet again, the word became flesh, fully God, fully man. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. And we now experience that glory living within us by the work of your Holy Spirit. In times of suffering and pain in this life, 
Give us eyes to see that gospel of grace until the day you come again in the fullness of your glory and dwell with your people again. Even so, Lord, we would pray, come, Lord Jesus, quickly, quickly come. Amen.